I'm hoping that this will evoke some humility in the people of the world and to see that our karmic footprint is really impacting the earth so terribly. And, and what is it? It's based on our arrogance. It's based on our greed. We're polluting the oceans, the rivers, we're drilling the earth. And, you know, just the idea that there are some, you know, ecological alternatives to look at, at more friendly um, sources for our, for our power, for, for, you know, to drive our, our lives. You know, it's, it's just so interesting to me because we, we want to be global citizens, right? Where we think of ourselves, we are global citizens, really. But, but what that means, I think it has to, we have to really look, look back um, and, and see how we can look more carefully at um, wind sources and solar. And, and you know, it, I think it, it's looking at India again, it's just interesting to me that people are seeing, okay, people have been denying for so long that, that this pollution or a large part of the pollution is, is generated from human greed. But now we see that it can be turned around. So now are we gonna turn around and look at other sources? I think that's important. Welcome to That's So Hindu, a podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, Suhag Shukla talks with Rukmini Walker. Rukmini is convener of Urban Devi, a women's discussion circle at the Bhakti Center in New York City, as well as online, that seeks to make spirituality accessible to women in the 21st century. Rukmini Walker is one of the first disciples of Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, the legendary guru who brought Bhakti and Krishna consciousness to the West. She's the founder of the Urban Devi Collective at UrbanDevi.com, based out of Bhakti Center in New York City, where she is a member of the board of directors. Rukmini Ji writes, teaches, and leads workshops and retreats internationally. She's also mom to world-renowned kirtan artist Gauravani and together they lead a Bhakti Immersion Kirtan adventure to India each year. She lives in Washington, D.C. area, where she and her husband, Anuttamadas, are active and lead in a variety of interfaith dialogues between Hindu Vaishnavas and other faith traditions each year. Rukminiji sees the world animated by spirit and practices an eco-bhakti, seeing truth and beauty in nature and in the world as kindred spirits. I've known Rukminiji for many, many years, and most recently had the opportunity to spend several days together in Govardhan Eco Village, about two hours north of Mumbai in India. Welcome, Rukminiji. Thank you so much, Suhag. So let's start with the one thing that's kind of unifying the experiences of nearly every human being on the entire planet, and that is the coronavirus pandemic. How are you doing? And what have you been doing since you came back from India? Well, um, you know, we're sheltering in place. I prefer that term to social distancing because I think I think social distancing is kind of a misnomer because I feel like it should be physical distancing because socially it's I think it's a it's a, a kind of a, a paradox that by social distancing, we're actually becoming socially closer to each other. That's, that's true. I've had more phone calls and FaceTimes with relatives and friends from near and far. It's so true. And, you know, reaching out to people you haven't spoken to and and just really checking in. I mean, checking in with people that they're just so I, I just feel like 
a space has been created mm-hmm. and and that we're we're all kind of on on pause. I feel like nature. I feel like Mother Boomi is on hiatus, right? That's right. That's and, right. And she's um she's rejuvenating herself. And I also feel like, you know, all these reports of these amazing things like blue skies over China and India's major cities and the Ganga and the Yamuna and, you know, dolphins back in the canals of Venice. And someone sent me a, a video of a deer running on the sea beach at Puri. Wow. Yeah. And then another one, someone sent me a video of, okay, there's a, a, a the, the largest offshore drilling site in India is, is off the coast of Mumbai. It's called Bombay High. Mm-hmm. Someone sent me a video of whales, like five whales just spouting um, mm. right in that, in that what was a few weeks ago, an offshore drilling site. So, you know, I just feel like it's a wake up call. I feel like we need to pay attention. I feel like, you know what I really feel like? I feel like that humans are having a time out, like, you know, when your kids were small. Right. And it they, does feel like that a little bit. <laughs> it's like, okay, what part of no do you not understand? Go to your room and think about it. And, and when you can figure out what you did wrong, you can come out. So that's, that's kind right. of right. Well, so I live in a city and I, you know, when I go out for a walk, we have a dog. So we do have to go out a couple times a day and I hear birds chirping, which usually the sound of trucks and cars and honking uh, cover those beautiful sounds up. So even though we're in the midst of a city, I've become far more aware of nature. And we have to speak of, you know, I'm hearing that from friends in Mumbai, that they're hearing birds in downtown Mumbai instead of cars honking, which is astounding. So... I just feel like it's time to really, I think, I think people all over the world are feeling like it's time to reassess, you know, what's, what's important, what's urgent. Uh, You know, it's almost as though wisdom is not a luxury right now or thinking deeply. That's why I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like it's sheltering in place is more the correct kind of term. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I think we're, kind of touching upon the fact that modern life has kind of come to feel like a sprint that's filled with consumption and independence. So we say and do and take whatever we feel like saying and doing and taking without concern to the impact on others. So kind of looking at some of these lessons that we're gleaning, um, at least just in observing nature and, and kind of the reawakening or, or maybe the resetting of nature the way it should be. What are, what are some of your hopes of what we take away once we, I mean, we're going to re-enter quote unquote normal life, but quote unquote normal might look different. So what are your hopes in terms of what we take into the future? Post-COVID. Yeah, Post-COVID, right? Post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm feeling like I'm hoping that this will evoke some humility in the people of the world mm-hmm. and to see that our karmic footprint is really impacting the earth so terribly. And, and what is it? It's based on our arrogance. It's based on our greed. We're polluting the oceans, the rivers. We're drilling the earth. And, you know, just the idea that there are some 
and you know ecological alternatives to look at at more friendly um, sources for our for our power for for you know to drive our our lives. You know, it's it's just so interesting to me because we we want to be global citizens, right? Where we think of ourselves, we are global citizens, really. But but what that means, I think it has to. We have to really look look back um, and and see how we can look more carefully at um, wind sources and solar and and you know it, I think it, it's looking at India again. It's just interesting to me that people are seeing okay. People have been denying for so long that that this pollution or a large part of the pollution is is generated from human greed. But now we see that it can be turned around. So now are we going to turn around and look at other sources? I think that's important. Hmm. I've seen some uh, photographs of uh, people able to see the Himalayas. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Right. Able to see the Himalayas, which they haven't seen in like, in like a decade. Exactly. Exactly. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, right now there also are a lot of people who are unable to put food on the table or, you know, to um, have adequate resources to see how maybe economies shift um, in order to still provide for us, uh, you know, all of us from those who have the least um, to those who have more and, and hopefully will be able to share as I've seen, I think, unprecedented generosity too. Um, yeah. Which is- yeah, that's something I really, really wanted to say also that um, I think people are are feeling more gratitude. And I think that's, that has to be a a direction for the future, you know, I mean, to me, this is bhakti. Bhakti is about, I, I, I call bhakti the yoga of gratitude, you know, to live in dharma, to, to give back with a sense of gratefulness. I mean, to, to our source, okay, that's bhakti, but also seeing our interconnectedness with, with everyone and feeling grateful for the people who do, of course, the doctors and the nurses and the people who are risking their lives, but even, you know, the, the grocery workers and the people in drugstores and the people who pick up the trash, you know, the people who are really um, extend themselves for society. Uh, yeah, that's so right. I mean, when I go into the grocery store, you know, it's not just, you know, as uh, Swamiji that I listen to um, on, he has satsangs over uh, Zoom every Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said that in America, we have a chip that's put into our head for um, thank you, how are you, and sorry. Right. And these are, you know, three terms that just kind of, automatically flow out of us without any intention of (laughs) behind it. So what I have noticed is that, you know, when I'm asking the person who's scanning my groceries, how are you doing? I am actually really meaning it and listening. It's not just a nicety. It's Um, true. You know, it's so funny because when I go to India, as an American, I'm always saying, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for, and, and everyone's always telling me, don't thank me. It's right. The, the old Indian thing is, this is my duty. This is my duty. This is my honor, you know, but I feel like 
it's that it, it's kind of it was built into the the old honorific tenses of the language and now you know now without that we're all um you know we're forgetting that and you know another point is that gratitude actually enhances the immune system mm-hmm. which is really really interesting so it's to me it's almost like okay this is not a luxury right now right this wisdom of being grateful for everything we receive from, you know, from Krishna, from our source, but from everyone in society who is so interconnected, this is not a luxury. This is, uh, this is, this is life. This is, this is love. And it, and it actually protects us. It's so important. So, so talk, you know, you mentioned Bhakti, you know, being a practice of, of gratitude and we talked about it in, in some sense, a kind of worldly or communal sense. And I'm going to get back to that. But first, you know, we've been talking to different um, spiritual leaders or, or to different practitioners on how spiritual practices can help us cope with being isolated from loved ones or perhaps not having our regular routine of waking up, going to work or dropping the kids off to school. So what, what does your bhakti practice look like at home? And what would you say to people who may not already be established in one? How can someone turn to bhakti uh, to help them through stress, anxiety, or, or dealing with difficult, difficult times? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you so much. So um, having, you know, just having a little practice, uh, I would call it a gratitude practice. It's a bhakti practice, but, but have a gratitude practice. Think, you know, think back to your grandmother or think, think back to older times when, when people just, um, started the day with a little, you know, I I think of when I first went, I mean, I don't know who your audience is here so much, but I assume there's some, it's, it's all over the world. And we have a diversity of people listening in people um, who are curious about Hinduism, uh, people who want to learn about it, but also practicing Hindus. So So, yeah. So I think, you know, when I first went to India, which was in 1972, um, you know, I stayed with friends and I, and I noticed people just like offering respect to their, to the elders in the family, like a, you know, in a loving way, somewhat like a, a daughter-in-law would be like rubbing the legs of the mom or the grandmother and saying some sweet words. So these, these beautiful, these beautiful appreciations, right. And then beginning the day with a little bit of offering incense, a little arty to a sacred picture, you know, maybe you have a picture of Krishna, maybe, you know, choose your favorite form of divinity, Krishna Ram, you know, and, and offer some incense and just say, Hey, thanks for the day. I, I'm not, I think, I think in the modern world, we, we kind of move about with such an attitude of entitlement, taking everything for granted. So what about, you know, in the bhakti tradition, here's something sweet that I find very sweet in the bhakti tradition. There's a little prayer we say to Bhumi Devi when we, before touching my feet to the floor in the morning, you know, Samudra Vasane Devi, I, you know, you're holding the, the mountains, you're holding the oceans, and I, you know, you're the wife of Vishnu, and I offer my respects to you before I put my 
please excuse me, right? Please excuse me for putting my foot on, on you today. You've given me, you know, Krishna, you've given me life once again. I wasn't entitled to another breath. I wasn't entitled to another day. And of course, so many lines in the Gita where Krishna says, I am the taste of water. I'm the ability in, in all people. I'm the light of the sun and the moon. So I think it's important, you know, we, we go for a walk, we're sheltering in place, but maybe we go for a walk and, and just look at the sun, look at the moon and, and appreciate and say, thank you. This is, this is bhakti. I think it's very, very important. I, I like, I was just going to say, I like the simplicity of, of what you've offered. You know, there's a, um, there's a academic who has researched, uh, just religiosity among second and third generation South Asians across the board, not just Hindus, but Muslims, Jains, and Sikhs. And one of the things that she found was that uh, after growing up, even if someone went to a temple as a child, there was a certain level of intimidation going to a temple as an adult. Why? Because they didn't know what to say or do. And something like gratitude is something that I think oftentimes emerges in us organically. And so there's such a simplicity. It's not like, oh, you have to know this shloka or this mantra and you have to pronounce it just right. Uh, but, But there are baby steps that you're talking about. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think, um, you know, this is, we, we talk a lot about Dharma, right? So just choosing to live more simply. This is living in Dharma, trying to give back with a sense of gratefulness. In Bhakti, um, one of our traditions is that we, you know, before eating anything, I, I try to cook in a mood of receiving the gifts of the earth mm-hmm. and try to, and then actually make a practice of, of offering it back that, that my dear Krishna, my dear Ram, um, you've given all these things, you've provided all this bounty over the earth. And now before I gobble it down, I'm going to just try to offer it back to you as an act of gratefulness. So, you know, gratefulness um, is just so important. And I think in, in the Vedic traditions in, in Dharma, there, there are rituals that, you know, we tend to think, oh, ritual is so useless, empty, useless mm-hmm. ritual. But it it actually, it, it creates, um, it creates like a container for holding the gratitude. Hmm. So when we throw out the rituals that our grandparents, um, you know, especially in India, throw out the rituals that our grandparents practiced, um, you know, in other places in the world also, um, but when we throw out those rituals, then then sometimes um, we don't know how to hold our. It's like those rituals are. It's like a gift. It's like you give someone a, a birthday present, right? Mm-hmm. So the the there's the box and there's the ribbons and then inside, oh, there's the gift. But so the rituals are like the box and the ribbons. And if we don't have those rituals to hand down to our kids and our grandkids, then sometimes they have a sense of disorientation, you know, um, you know, they 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 don't know um, mm. how to, how to pull it back and how to hand it down to their kids. You know, I think when people have their own kids, then they think, "Whoa, it's time to revive and you know reconnect with something my my grandmother used to do." You know? Right, right. And I think oftentimes, at least in the Hindu tradition, 
so many things are kind of in, immersed into or have become part of the culture that uh, it's difficult to know what you're leaving behind. Right. So, you know, especially if you, if you've moved to a diasporic country, whether you're in the United States or the United Kingdom or, or wherever uh, you might still make Indian food, or, you know, you might still listen to the music, but there are certain practices of, you know, going to your home altar that maybe you took for granted. And, and I think that when we view those practices, one is just a continuation of like a gift, as you said, from our ancestors, but also as an exercise of gratitude uh, I think that's a beautiful opening for those who uh, may have taken it for granted or forgotten uh, that it's it really is that easy. I want to shift a little bit uh, to talking about. Can I just say one other oh, yeah, thing please, about please that? It. Because you reminded me of this. What was his name? Chief Seattle, this Native American wise man mm-hmm. who, you know, he talked about handing it down to seven generations, right? Handing down the culture to seven generations. So if we disconnect from our roots and what was given, you know, just that taking that moment to offer a stick of incense or a few prayers at that home altar, it's not only honoring what, what's come before me, my ancestors, which is very sacred, but it's also creating that form, that container that my children, my grandchildren can carry it forward. Mm. I, I just think that's so important. And, you know, right now when people are, feel, are feeling like a disconnect and, and seeking that, that deep connection mm-hmm. um, with other people, with society, with people who are important to you, it's so important to remember the importance of that, you know, the past and the future and keep that connectivity with, uh, with all really all living beings. And again, you know, the Gita talks about the that we are the Atma, we're the Jiva, we're the soul. So that means there's a connection between the animals. And this, these are the gifts of Indian tradition, you know, to see mm-hmm. the gifts and the connection between the animals and other living beings of all cultures, of all people. And, you know, it's just so important to to keep that connectivity. So we've largely talked about Bhakti as a as a practice of of gratitude, but some of my most immersive experiences of Bhakti have been right here in Philadelphia at the Mount Airy Radha Krishna Temple, and you know the minute I walk in, it's it's that smell of incense in the air, the waving of the arti in front of these beautifully uh, decked out murtis and there's a meditative drone of the harmonium and rhythmic energy of drums and cymbals. And, and then there's the soulful call of the lead singer and then kind of this collective joy that flows from all the devotees who are responding to that um, in song as well. That's, that's to me, the, yeah, and and I do get teased in my family because the minute I enter a kirtan, I start crying. So there, there's definitely a devotional energy 
that is is in this kind of community type practice. It's so funny, Suhag, because <laughs> I noticed that about you when we were at Govardhan Eco Village. Oh boy, and, I got caught. <laughs> and it's so beautiful because, you know, I mean, this is our culture, right? Big girls don't cry. Men aren't supposed to cry. Nobody should cry. And, you know, you're, you're a tough as nails, you know, woman, at first. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a tough woman. And, Thank you. you know, but to see that side of you crying during the bhajans, it was so moving to me because it was like, it was just like, okay, here's a kinder, kinder, gentler face of this tough as nails. Oh, you know, <laughs> Suhag, you know? Well, so, thank you. I'm going to have to share that with my boys to say, don't make fun of me, see? And here you're asking about bhakti. So bhakti, sometimes people say bhakti is the crying school that we, um, you know, we have to open, not, not necessarily just the, the tears of our eyes, but the tears of our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. To, 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 to be able to cry, um, cry to cry to Krishna, to cry to God, to cry to, to our source that thank you for everything that you've given me. Thank you for, um, it's, it's like, it's like, bhakti, you know, someone defined bhakti as a loving responsive, loving responsiveness, which I really love. Mm-hmm. It's a chance to feel a reciprocation to the beautiful benevolent, benign face of divinity. I, I sent you something I wrote about the um, which face of, of the goddess do we want to be seeing right now? I don't know if you saw that. but you Yeah, know. I did see it. Could you share with our listeners uh, in terms of what your motivation was for that? And, and yeah, I'm just thinking that, you know, it's so interesting in Hinduism, we have so many, many faces of divinity, right? We have many faces of the goddess, but in bhakti, um, if we can express this feeling of gratitude and, and soul connection, interconnection with our source and with all living beings, then and living in dharma, right? Living in simplicity, not taking more than what I need, not what I think Gandhi said, the earth provides, maybe it's not Gandhi quote, but I think it is that the earth can provide enough for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. Mm-hmm. So living in that Ishapanishad, that Ishavasyam, idam sarvam, this mm-hmm. take what it, what is your allotted share, but don't take more. Mm-hmm. So if we can live in this consciousness, then we can begin to see that benign, beautiful blessing hand of, of the goddess in her, in her beautiful, peaceful, benign forms, like Sita, like Radharani, like Lakshmi, like Saraswati, you know, mm. rather than the angry face when she's riding on her tiger and she's got all her weapons out and, you know, you guys need a time out. guys you know you're doing it all based on greed you need a time out you need to reassess your lives you know i think i asked you the last time we talked if you've seen this thing from um again from gandhi i think he calls it the seven blunders of the world have you seen this list i don't know if i've seen that okay it's really nice he says um this, I, I'm not sure whether he calls it the seven social sins or the seven blunders of the world, but it's nice. So let me just read yeah. you this, these seven. Wealth without work, mm. pleasure without conscience, mm-hmm. knowledge without character, commerce without morality, 
science without humanity, worship without sacrifice, and politics without principle. Hmm. I think it's so wow. powerful. So it powerful. Is. So um, yeah, I think I think this is what our tradition points us back to that that you know do what you do in this world. Actually, there's there's a beautiful principle in bhakti. Let me mention this. It's called yukta vairagya, mm-hmm. which means that um, nothing is in and of itself bad or good. Like, is a car mm-hmm. good? Is money good? Depends how you use it, right? Right, what, right. What about a knife? You can use a knife to kill someone or you can use a knife to cut out a, a skilled surgeon can use a knife to cut out a cancer. Right. So um, this principle of yukta vairagya means that that whatever I have, whatever gifts I've, I've been given by God, let me use them in a spiritual consciousness. And then they become instruments of divinity in this world. Hmm. Whatever I, f- I feel like whatever gifts we've received, those are God's gift to us. How we develop them are God's gift, our gift to God and to the world. Right. So right. to me, this is bhakti. Yeah, those the seven, I, I didn't know that they were referred to the seven, but I have read them. And essentially, it's a call for acting in dharma, right? In all exactly. of those. Exactly. All of those realms, whether it's politics or commerce or our day-to-day engagement with one another or with yeah. the divine. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, to me, Dharma means to act in a way that carries us back into harmony with our true nature hmm. internally and with other living beings. So there's like a, an internal, a microcosm, a macrocosm, and, and with the greater external world. You know, this mm-hmm. is Dharma to act in harmony. Can can we live this way? And then, you know, we have, you know, as, as practicing Hindus, we have so many slogans, right? Asatomam sat gamaya, tamasoma jyotir gamaya, mritu ma amritam gamaya. So are these slogans or is this really what we need to live? You know, turn away from the darkness, go to the light, right? Mm-hmm. No, really embrace what is eternal because at a time like this, everything temporary can be taken away, right? Right, right. So I'm going to just kind of rewind and go back to my question. Uh, I love this this kind of tangent that we went on, but I do have a question, and perhaps this is kind of selfish, but going back to uh, that feeling when you are in community. Um, in for Kirtan or that devotional energy, what tips do you have to replicate home? Very beautiful. So, so I think um, create that box, create that container, so there is some form in which to put the gift. Right? Mm-hmm. Create, create a little ritual, and and you know if you don't remember what your grandmother used to do, then. You know, you can make something up or find some prayers from from the tradition Mm -hmm. and just, you know, go start the day with a little bit of gratitude, Um, light the incense or light. I mean, candles are so beautiful. Light a deepa. Mm -hmm. uh, Prime Minister Modi did this beautiful thing of what was it a week ago? 
where he had everyone. Did you hear about that? Right, right. The the lighting of the lamps at nine o'clock, I think, for nine minutes or yeah. something like that, right? And it's, it's so interesting because the Pope asked everyone at around the same time at 8 p.m. to have asked everyone in the world to be praying. So you and I were together at Govardhan Eco Village, one of my friends there. I think you might have met her, uh, Haripriya Radha. Did you meet her? I anyway, mean. she sent me this beautiful picture that they they put, they set deepas out all over this. They have so many little temples there, but they put deepas out all over the temples at that time when Prime Minister Modi um, requested that. So, you know, these are external things, but they um, they catch our consciousness. They're mm-hmm. like a a little net for catching our minds and our hearts. So to light mm-hmm. it, light it deeper, light a candle, light some incense, have some pictures of, you know, that inspire you. Um, you know, have some pictures of divinity, have, you know, clear off that makeup table that has 25, <laughs> 25 <laughs> lipsticks that I haven't worn or used in forever, right? Just clear right. the thing off, make a space. Maybe this is a time, right? Nature, the virus, whatever it is, God, we've been given space right now. So take time, take the space to clear off a little space in your in your house, take some beautiful chadara, some beautiful cloth, maybe mm-hmm. something that has special meaning to you from a grandmother or an ancestor or something. Make a beautiful space, make a beautiful altar, put your favorite pictures of divinity there, light a candle, light some incense, and do it as a daily practice. You know, start mm. the day with this before the coffee, before the newspaper, before the charging out to work or whatever we do. You know, all these things I think are very sacred. And then and then taking, especially at a time like this, but but maybe always, maybe we could get this into our usual, our regular regimen. You know, open up one of the sacred books that is there in the tradition. Open the Gita, read a verse from the Gita. Read mm. something from Ishopanishad, read something from, you know, read some some something and express that I'm grateful that I have another day, that I have oxygen, right? Yes. So yes, that was beautifully doable. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I have one last question for you. This is, uh, we could probably talk for hours, but uh, loving our conversation. <laughs> Likewise. So, so I'm a Florida Gator. Yeah. And an alumni of the Hare Krishna free lunch program. It kept uh, you alive during it. It did. Year. It did. Had a lot of prasadam. And I saw that um, they are now uh, serving health care workers, uh, which is really nice. They're providing free, healthy lunches to all the healthcare providers who are on the front lines. So I wanted to ask you, um, what are some of the unique things that you've witnessed Krishna devotees doing around the world to cope with COVID and to serve others? And how might people who are interested in giving, but aren't unable to maybe leave their homes, how can they support that work? That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, in many places, um, there is this um, packaged food, um, prashad, sacred food is called prashad when it's offered to Krishna. So there is this uh, f- sacred food distribution going on in many places where it's possible. In India, um, in many thousands of people are receiving uh, food because our, we have, let's see, okay, so in 10 states, there are 25 centers where they distribute 1.2 million plates to 
school children six days a week. Wow. So days, six days a week. So those 25 centers are fully equipped with these, you know, state of the art stainless steel kitchens. So those, those uh, devotees of Krishna are actively distributing food in packages, trying to keep a distance and um, this is going on, you know, in India right now, there are migrant workers who are trying to get back to their homes. There are many people unemployed. There mm-hmm. are elderly people. There are people sheltering in place. So this food is going out by the thousands in India. I just heard this morning that in Australia, they're doing that. Um, you said in Florida and um, in different places where it's possible, people are are trying to distribute food. So that's a beautiful thing. Another thing is just the this blessing of zoom calls. I mean, we're on one right now, right? Mm-hmm. But all over the world, it's been amazing because what did I hear from Russia that there were, um, I mean, I've been uh, leading different zoom conversations all, all week. I heard in Russia, there, there are people from all over the world in three languages, 3000 people were on a zoom call in English, wow. Russian and German. Um, wow. And then, you know, people are connecting. I mean, many, many times of the day I have a, a what is it, a like a Srimad Bhagavatam call at 6 p.m. tonight on Zoom and there's mm-hmm. something else at 1 p.m. So there's this kind of wonderful wealth or kind of smorgasbord of choices for Zoom calls you can you can join. And if anyone is interested, um, you know, let I I could give, I mean, you can chop this out, Suhag, but if you, you could share my urbandavy.com blog with anyone who wants to, we're trying to send out uplifting messages and Zoom talks that have been recorded. So please share that with your listeners. But yeah, we can, we can share these Zoom connects um, with different communities. There are groups in, in, in England and um, in the U.S. And, and all over the world. So that's been a blessing. That's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help this show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at www.hindoamerican.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.